Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 30th, 2020, including Xbox revenue is down overall, but Game Pass and Live are bigger than ever. Activision Blizzard has entered an exclusive streaming deal with Google and more. Happy Thursday to all of you. It's currently Wednesday for me as I sit here recording the night before the show goes live, sitting uh, completely naked, wearing nothing but my new Tesla Cybertruck hat I just ordered. Came in the mail. It looks really nice. In fact, I think it looks so nice that I don't even feel the need to wear other clothing when I wear this hat. So as far as you know, I'm completely naked and that's just disgusting. But Anyway, good day, and thank you for listening to the show. As always, uh, let's start out this week with some comments, questions, and kind of feedback or whatever. And it's never really feedback. It's always just comments, really, from the audience pertaining to last week's show. So as we have started doing recently, we'll go back and see what people had to say in regards to last week's news or some of my stupid comments. But here we go. Our first one uh, comes from our, our most regular writer, Dead Captain James, who in response to my kind of argument or stance on why this whole jump from one console generation to another in, in the in the kind of power gap that comes with that isn't as relevant as it used to be uh, just because of the way games are specced and kind of built is different from how they used to be. And we need to kind of change our concept or, or kind of branding of thinking in that regard in order, to really un- in order to really understand what that means as we get into this more fluid kind of Xbox future where, you know, a game can run on the Xbox One or the Xbox Series X and you wouldn't have to compromise the vision of the latter to make the game run and perform on the former. So anyway, to that, Captain Dead Captain James says, you pretty much nailed the answer for Series X being held back as an example of why it won't be held back would actually be Red Dead Redemption 2. That game runs and plays on Xbox One Fat, which is what I play on. Me, not him. I also have this game on my PC. My PC is already as powerful, if not more powerful, than the Series X, especially in terms of CPU and RAM. And Red Dead Redemption 2 still pushes my PC until it screams. I can only play it uh, 1440p ultra and at 50 fps because the game is so demanding so the fear of the xbox one holding back series x is completely unwarranted we also have to keep in mind that it's only for one maybe two years at max so pretty much the all the cross-gen games were in development well before the series x was a thing i think that last part is really uh actually a good point that i didn't really touch on to be honest with you um last week And to think that, yeah, I mean, Microsoft came out and was very clear that this is only a temporary deal. It's the, again, it's that kind of new iOS supporting old hardware type deal where it's like, yeah, you know, new games on Xbox Series X will support the Xbox One, but only for so long before, you know, you get a little further into the generation, then it's time to drop some old hardware and you just slowly kind of 
wean off the older hardware and add on to newer hardware as you get more and more iterations of hardware and more and more ambitious games as opposed to more of like a cut and clear like this generation than this generation as we're as we're more accustomed to so i think that's a good point to make so keep in mind it is temporary and as developers become more comfortable and more skilled at developing for newer hardware the games will just inherently and naturally become more ambitious and more powerful and there's no fear of you know how that's going to work on something like an old day one xbox one because that's not going to be supported for too much longer after the series x is out so and in addition to that the other point is that these games a lot of these games that are going to be supported on not only the series x but the original xbox one these are games that have been well in development for years uh in some cases months in some cases and that's another good point because yeah games take forever to make you know halo infinite while i'm sure that game has been in some capacity completely scrap since the release of halo 5 i mean that game it, by the time it comes out it'll have been five years between halo games that's like you know that's that's not nothing so you know these games are, are developed with to think about it like this the entire second half or at least like almost two-thirds of the xbox one generation went by between halo games so like that's how much 343 is 343 starts this game you know well into the era of xbox one and the game comes out at the beginning of the series x like that's a lot of generation to take into consideration so it's totally feasible that they could have made that game with not only the series x in mind as they as they approach you know the next generation but also with current gen in mind considering that's you know that's what was the norm during the majority of halo infinite's development time so that's also a pretty common thing shut up siri no one no one's talking to you siri um okay our next comment comes again from my brother who says in regards to the concept of crunch in the games industry and this conversation of game developers being pushed to put in these crunch hours and kind of ethics in the, in the games in the games development sphere he says in, in regards to my comment that this is all just a, a load of you know malarkey and that it's kind of an over overrun drawn out kind of conversation that's really more for you know to drive clicks than it is to to expose like a deep-seated issue in the games industry so my brother says i couldn't agree more about crunch in crunch time in game development people love to question the means that bring us art but contrary to the modern idea sometimes the ends can justify the means when the shining was made uh, stanley kubrick was actually horrible to shelly duvall uh, berating her and making her feel awful but in doing so he drew out the perfect emotions in her that made her performance incredible was he a nice guy no but now we have a masterpiece that has inspired millions and she was part of that Art shouldn't be judged the same way you judge normal jobs. I agree 100% with you. First of all, as just a kind of throwaway, I need you guys to stop agreeing with me so much in these comments because then it makes this whole segment seem more like a pat on the back and less like a, a like a discourse. But nonetheless, I do appreciate some some backing up on my argument. Not that not that I necessarily need it, but that it is appreciated to know that I'm not completely crazy in in my in my line of thought, I guess. But anyway, yeah, I mean, not that myself or my brother in this case are advocating you know actual emotional abuse as is the case with his example in in the movie the shining but with the development of the movie the shining i should say but yeah i mean this is a great this is, again is a great point it's like no one is forcing anyone to be there yeah sure sometimes people are contractually obligated to do the work they do 
and that might you could you might be able to rebuttal with that a little bit but the point is it's like if you're an actor if you're if you're a game developer you're there because you have passion because this is what you want to do this is what you want to create and if you're the person driving maybe the one making the decision that the game has to be delayed and that crunch hours have to be put in you know it this isn't this doesn't come from a place of of like work I don't know this isn't like a normal job where it's like mean old personless boss that wants to drive profits up is willing to sacrifice everyone else's life for his own greedy good and the performance and the in this in the viability of his company while yes you know delays and things are for the viability of the company because you need the product to be good in order for the company to succeed that's not really what it's about again from from the level of artists making art this is this is something you're going to put out into the world and then will be permanent and crystallized to the world forever so like do you want it to be good or not and if you have any emotional input or if you have if you have any you know chips or cards in this game then surely one would think that you'd care about making it the best damn product it can be so again while yes, I'm sure this in some case has affected people in the past, and maybe sometimes there is crunch or stress or heartache or you know just loss or whatever it is you think in the games industry. Again, people like creatives creating art are here because they want to be here because they care about the project and they understand the sacrifices it takes. You know, they understand what it takes to make the cake, if so to speak. So I just I don't really see how there is any other argument to this. If I don't know if you if you're not a fan of of work, of lines of work that in, involve like like passion and and just, I don't know, like the utmost desire to dedicate and instill yourself to your discipline, then it's probably not the right thing for you. But uh, there's nothing more for me to really say on that. It just, it just sounds redundant. And then our last comment for the week is actually from a new commenter, first-time commenter. Their name, Lethal Migraine, which might I add is just a really nice, a nice tag name. That's his YouTube name, but Nice gamer tag or uh, alias, I should say. But yeah, he, in regards to my comment about, you know, Microsoft chasing more after the, the services and the Xbox brand and less so after the actual hardware, the box itself, um, he says, or they say, console sales are irrelevant. It's just a way to get people into the ecosystem. If you look at the earnings calls for just the last two years, Xbox made roughly $21 billion to Sony's roughly $13 billion. I'm not quite sure. I didn't fact check Lethal Migraine on these numbers. I'm not sure if they're referring to Xbox compared to Sony because Xbox, of course, is a division of Microsoft, whereas Sony is the overarching company that encompasses uh, PlayStation. So I don't really know exactly what they were getting at. I assume they meant Xbox to PlayStation. And even then, I'm not sure that those numbers are 100% accurate. However, this stuff doesn't completely surprise me when when you look at it because again, this it's it's about the services, it's about the products. When you think about what's on the PlayStation, your main service is is PlayStation Plus, which is like their Xbox Live equivalent. Now, to my understanding, PlayStation Plus doesn't have the penetration or the ratio that Xbox Live has on its respective platform, meaning that I I believe I, I'm not sure where I read this, so that's why I'm it's I'm sounding a little vague on it. But I believe that it was that most like while I'm sure many PlayStation owners are PlayStation Plus subscribers, there are more Xbox users that subscribe to Live than there are PlayStation users that subscribe to PS Plus. The reason for that I I I, I would assume. Well, a lot of PlayStation gaming can be done pretty adamantly in like a single player sense, as well as a lot of uh, PlayStation Plus is something that was kind of introduced during a phase of PlayStation, whereas Xbox Live has always kind of been intricately 
tied and associated to the, the the experience of Xbox. So I think live is just more synonymous with Xbox than PlayStation Plus is with PlayStation, although I could be entirely wrong about this. I, I don't actually know. The other thing being that, you know, that each of these platforms has a secondary service, Game Pass and PlayStation Now. And while, yeah, PlayStation Now has technically been around longer, Sony's done a god-awful job of really promoting and explaining and enticing users into becoming a part of PlayStation Now, although they have said that it's been growing as of as of late whereas you know game pass has while hasn't been around quite as long has been microsoft has been much more aggressive about pushing it and getting people to subscribe to it and it conveying the value of it i think i think in every aspect i mean game pass is just a far superior service although i think playstation now is a fine service that is probably on its way to get much better and will probably evolve to become more like game pass in the coming years but um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that Game Pass is significantly more popular in its respective ecosystem than um, PlayStation Now is to its respective ecosystem. However, another thing you got to consider is Xbox. Again, this is the benefit of, of the Windows computer and and getting your platform on more than just one piece of hardware is that Xbox can generate a lot of revenue being on the PC. And it does because you can, you can use your Xbox Live subscription on PC. You can use Game Pass on on PC. So that's a massive market you can now get to subscribe to your subscription your your service because I mean, yeah, sure, there are a lot more PlayStations than there are, are Xboxes, but guess what? There's a hell of a lot more PCs than there are PlayStations and Xboxes combined. So that's a much bigger net to cast. That's a much bigger potential market. So I'm again not so sure about those numbers. But yeah, I mean, that doesn't that wouldn't surprise me um, if Microsoft was just making hand over fist money, which we're actually this that's about to play into our first story of the week. So hang off to that for a second. Yeah, that's not not surprising to see that Microsoft does very well in the um, in the profitability, despite being in second place when it comes to the actual sale of the hardware. And thank you, Lethal Migraine, for uh, commenting. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in in the future. Um, So that's it for this week's shout outs comments uh, questions and remember for next week don't be shy reply next let's get into what i've been playing but of course before we get into what i've been playing let me tell you what i've been eating and this week you know my i had i actually had my sister visiting in town um and i live here in orlando florida which means theme parks uh, that's why i live here is i'm a big theme park fan and so we went to a couple of disney parks while she was down here and needless to say i was eating a lot of theme park food while I was in the parks with her and vacationing with her, so to speak. And I've got to say, you know, here's here's my thing is for all of you that aren't super versed in like specifically like Disney theme parks, everyone is familiar with, you know, theme parks in general, you know, whether whether it's your regional Six Flags or something like that, or if it's something up to like Universal Studios or Disney or something like whatever. The point I'm trying to get at is there's always been a stigma with theme park food, right? It's super overpriced. It's super shitty. It's, you know, it's cheap. It's disgusting. It's, you know, it's something that's serviceable, but everyone would prefer pretty much anything other over, you know, theme park food. Uh, you know, you can spend a fraction of the money and get something way, way better, even at a fast food restaurant. That's generally the stigma. And I don't blame people, you know, if your experience is going to your local Six Flags Park and paying $14 for the worst plate of nachos you've ever had, then I don't I don't blame you for having that mentality. And I think the stigma has been perpetuated for so many years that it's really hard to shake that kind of mindset. But I've got to tell you, and, and, and sorry for the long, the long tangent, the long preface, but I've just got to tell you, there is nothing in this world as special to me as 
the the quick service, the fast food, the junky food you can get at a at a Disney theme park. It just it's just very, very special to me. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, back when I moved to Florida, a lot of people thought I was moving here because they think, oh, if you love Disney, you just want to work there. You just want to ride the rides all the time. And it, it's like, no, you stupid idiot. It has nothing to do with that. It's I, I could give a shit less about all the rides. Every fucking ride at Disney World could burn down to the ground and I wouldn't give a shit. I don't care about Small World or Space Mountain. What I care about is the $13 cheeseburger and fries at Cosmic Rays or the $11.50 7-inch uh, pizza at Pizza Rizzo. It's, it's, and, and don't mind the names of the restaurants. The point I'm trying to make is the quality of that theme park food is so artfully shitty to the point where it transcends your general conception of you know what theme park food is and it enters this realm of like so bad it's good or sometimes it's just straight up good and you don't mind the price. So let me tell you this. Uh, the more and more time and money you spend in theme parks, the more and more you get this Stockholm Syndrome where you're just like, oh, $13 for a cheeseburger and fries? That's completely normal. And you just pay it up. You don't question it. Never mind the fact that there's a McDonald's in your neighborhood that you can get the same amount of food for for like five bucks. And it might even be better in your opinion. Of course, your opinion would be wrong because there's just something really special about that Disney food. It's a uh, it's what I live for. It's a lot of why I live here now in the Florida region. And uh, just a big old shout out, you know, specifically to Disney theme park food, but theme park food in general. It's it's completely underrated. And, and shout out to Disney for doing such a great job with really catering to, you know, a lot of different palettes for theme park food. You could be, you'd be surprised if you, if you haven't been to a Disney theme park in recent history, they've really done a great job of really making some of their, their menus more robust and offer like some really interesting food options and just offering some really quality food. And I know this show's about Xbox, but you know, Phil Spencer once said, none of this would be here today. Xbox, Halo, all of it. If not for that goddamn $13 cheeseburger with fries, I know the bun was stale and wasn't cooked, and I know the fries were like three days old, but goddamn was it good, and uh, I think that's something we all must keep in mind while we uh, pursue this idea of mental health when we're playing games like Hellblade. And speaking of Hellblade, let's get into what I've been playing, because despite talking about it at nauseum, I have still not played Hellblade. In fact, this week I've been incredibly busy. Like I said, my sister was visiting. I just had a big week at work. This is just one of those weeks. Everyone has them from time to time where life gets in ahead of you and uh, you just don't have the time to sit down and play games uh, despite wanting to do so. I did knock out like another hour of Mass Effect and now that this longer, busier week of mine has has passed, I'm planning on getting into a lot of Mass Effect over the next week, maybe even just beating it over the next seven days, hopefully. Um, but I'm enjoying that. I'm really dedicated to sticking with it and finishing it. And I'll have more to say about it next week on, on next week's episode. But yeah, really, as far as what I've been playing, that's, that's really it. It's just Mass Effect. So sorry to disappoint you if you wanted to hear all about how I was playing some Japanese dating sim. I wish. I just haven't had the time. Other than that, I guess I've been playing a little bit of Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games 2020 uh, right before I go to bed every night on the Nintendo Switch, but that's really something I should keep to myself because it's kind of a embarrassing fact. All right, now let's actually get into some goddamn news. I guess that's what you actually listen to this show for, probably. Maybe. I don't know why anyone would listen to this. So let's start this week with one of those, I don't think it's real news, so we'll categorize it as not really news type news. And it is a rumor that came from Sinlinks, a site I've never heard of ever. And they're suggesting that either a remake or sequel-esque reimagining of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic might be in the works. 
While rumors of the series making a comeback in some form or fashion have been known for a while, including Lucasfilm CEO Kathleen Kennedy even like saying that they're looking into exploring that era, these are still technically unsubstantiated reports, and who the hell knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't really know. I, I, I battled with this a little bit because I was like, do I put it in the news? Do I not? I So I, I'm going to put it in there as that not really news kind of thing just to say, yes, I saw this. It's a, Be aware that it's a thing. Just don't get your hopes up too much. There's rumors that the Mass Effect Andromeda team is actually working on this remake or this reimagining. And then there's also rumors that like whatever they're making is some kind of hybrid of like elements of Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 morphed together into one like new kind of reimagined game. Keep in mind that, you know, while Bioware did originally make the first Knights of the Old Republic, the second one was actually made by Obsidian, the guys that make the Outer Worlds. So completely different developers. And uh, I don't know. This is just one of those things where people really like Knights of the Old Republic. EA still technically has the Star Wars license for a little while longer. You would think they want to shit out at least like one more big Star Wars game before they lose that license or have to re-up. So this would make sense in that regard. But also with Respawn's Jedi Fallen Order doing as well as it has, I wouldn't be surprised if they just let Respawn make a few more Star Wars games before that license goes out or whatever. Or who knows, maybe they're even ballsy enough to try Battlefront 3, which I know Battlefront 2 people keep saying, you know, it got, it got better. The community behind that game is actually really into it today. It's, it's awesome to see that DICE has really doubled down the support and really turning things around for that game. But the stigma is still there. I'm sure if they made a third one, it'd sell very well, but it will come with a lot of shit just because... People love to hate hate stuff, and Star Wars is a really hot thing to hate, and I just don't know that going back to Battlefront is what you want to do right now. So in a lot of ways, this does make sense. You know, go back to something people love, um, but people are so down on Star Wars right now. The last thing you want to do is take something they love like Knights of the Old Republic and fuck that up too. So I don't know. Maybe this is a real thing. We'll keep an eye on it, but I didn't want to put this in the news and be like, hey, get ready for Knights of the Old Republic. It's coming back because we don't really know yet, but... Here's hoping, I guess. Um, I still haven't. I've started the first one. I've never finished it, and I never even touched the second one. So I can't say too much about my experience with those games. But I know people really, really love them. It's often, you know, the first one's often regarded as like the definitive best original Xbox game. Of course, you're a fucking insane human being if you think the best games on the original Xbox were anything other than the first two Halo games, but this is America, and you are allowed to be a psychotic person, I guess, if that's how you choose to live. But now we will move into, oh wait, we do have one more not really news, news story. A lot of outlets were picking up this story where Phil Spencer tweeted out how he was thinking about how frame rate is more important than resolution when it comes to power in consoles or performance in consoles. One, Phil Spencer has said this before, so that's not big news. Second of all, this isn't really a news story. This is just a guy sharing his thought about the preference of frame rate or resolution and i don't see how anyone could think otherwise i mean frame rate affects how your game performs and plays which is critical and resolution you know is more about the aesthetic which while extremely important and extremely you know attractive when a game has a wonderful resolution when a console is capable of of you know rendering beautiful resolutions and in, in graphics and games the, the more important thing is that the game runs and plays well and frame rate is critical to that so yeah phil spencer said frame rate is more important than resolution i don't understand why sites like ign think this is such a big news story but i understand that they have a they have a business to run and if you're going to click on a story that says that then i guess we'll, we'll we'll count that as news now can't wait to hear what phil spencer thinks about you know american versus japanese automobiles because i guess every opinion he has is a fucking news story now anyway let's get into some actual news stories our first one for this week i'm actually going to pull directly from windows central a source i use quite often because 
because this is about earnings and money and I don't want to write my abridged version of this because it'll just come out sounding like I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't. So yeah, our first story and it's kind of ties in with the second story. But the first one is that Xbox revenue has dived as next generation uh, looms in Microsoft's quarter two 2020 earnings. So directly from Windows Central, the report reads, Microsoft dropped quarter two earnings for its 2020 fiscal year today, outlining increased revenue of to $36.9 billion with major growth across Redmond's lineup of products and services. That pairs with a notable downturn for Microsoft's gaming portfolio, reporting a sizable 21% decline in revenue over second quarter 2019 earnings, down at $905 million. Waning Xbox performance comes as Microsoft readies for next generation platforms with Series X and, of course, PlayStation 5, scheduled for launch later this calendar year. That regularly couples with reduced investment from consumers as internal efforts steadily shift towards upcoming decade of Xbox and supporting gaming services. Hardware revenue dropped 43% as Xbox One sales reflect an imminent successor, of course. And Microsoft is also reporting that 11% decline in their Xbox content and services revenue spanning supporting Xbox titles, subscriptions, and other fundamental components of the Xbox ecosystem. It attributes the year-over-year drop to unnamed quote, third-party titles, or a third-party title, which, you know, we assume is Fortnite or Red Dead Redemption 2, the free-to-play Battle Royale saw content revenue surge parallel to its peak, while Rockstar's game's Western-dominated 2018 sales. Growth of subscriptions, including Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold, uh, particularly offset the through increased revenue. The 21% decline in overall gaming revenue is significant, signaling a weak period for Microsoft's Xbox efforts and beyond. Conversely, the decline follows an impressive comparable quarter with the reduced traction of upcoming generation brings. Uh, Microsoft's fiscal year 13 quarter two results covering a similar period preluded the Xbox One saw an 11% tumble from the former entertainment and devices division with a 28% drop in console sales. So that last part's really important where it's saying, you know, right before it's talking about the end of the 360 generation, right before the Xbox One came out, um, you know, back then they called that the entertainment and devices division before it was the Xbox or gaming division. And um, it's talking about how it had a similar, pretty similar down, almost down to the number. Well, not really. It had a, it had a similar drop, um, not, not quite as substantial as what they're experiencing now. But, you know, this is, I guess what that means is that this is just pretty par for the course. You know, obviously people know that there's a next generation Xbox, especially now that, you know, Microsoft's been so vocal and even publicly revealed what the console looks like. So a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to keep playing my Xbox One. I'll keep playing Game Pass when the games I have. But now I'm saving my money for the Series X. That's just pretty common to see that happen. So this isn't like, you know, this isn't like a bad thing. This isn't like frightening that game sales are dropping, although I am surprised to see just how much it's dropping. 43% is nothing, you know, to sneeze at compared to the 28% they experienced back in 2013, right before the Xbox One came out. But also that's that's kind of a it's kind of a different story. The ecosystem's kind of different because back then it was all Xbox 360. Now Xbox, you know, a lot of players are playing it via PC and things like that. So there are a lot of other factors to take into consideration. Um, but you know, this is pretty standard stuff. Microsoft has actually been doing very well and they've been like breaking sales records and predictions every quarter as a company um, with a lot of things like, you know, Microsoft Office and and most importantly, Microsoft 
with Azure, their cloud solution technology being really the kind of financial spearhead for the company. Um, when you really pull Microsoft's Xbox division out of the out of the company's portfolio, it's it's not making up the big the big chunk of the company's revenue. In fact, um, in fact, the thirty six point nine billion in revenue only like two point two billion of that 36 million was from xbox so just to put things into perspective to you you know while xbox is yes profitable and it's nice to have that in the fold xbox really is not the big breadwinner for microsoft and this is why you know people have rumored over over the years you know this is a bigger rumor 10 years ago than it is today that microsoft you know might just spin off xbox they might try to sell the brand they might just try to tear it down and just forget about it and scrap it all together now while i think there's no way that's what microsoft's plan on doing especially with their new vision being as you know kind of fluid as it is and kind of uh flexible on so much different so many different platforms and so much hardware i really don't see that ever being a reality or anytime in the near future but you know this puts into perspective how small the xbox division really is and the grand scheme of things over at microsoft uh, despite you know our perspective as xbox fans as people who you know consume xbox news on a daily basis and play this console daily and and can't think of the name microsoft without associating it with the xbox brand but it really is just kind of this um this smaller side of the whole thing i mean it's just it's crazy to think about but our next story might might make you uh if you if you feel all doom and gloom about xbox this might, next story might help turn that perspective around a little bit and it's kind of within that same earnings report um it's that xbox game pass users have doubled and xbox live has broken records in quarter two earnings so despite the hardware being down it's looking good for the services and the article again reads quote from from a window central xbox game pass in line emerge and on top uh, in Microsoft's fiscal 20 fiscal year 20 quarter two earnings uh, so Microsoft recently relayed that it's fiscal year 20 quarter two earnings uh, detailing increased revenue to 36.9 billion uh, with impressive growth across the past quarter that also brings 21 percent decline in overall gaming revenue as efforts shift towards the upcoming series X and fewer third-party titles leave their impact on the market however Microsoft's ongoing investment to Xbox subscription partially offset those losses with Xbox game pass and live smashing records speaking on Microsoft's second quarter 2020 earnings conference call, CEO Satya Nadella confirmed Xbox Game Pass subscribers, quote, more than doubled this quarter, end quote, as the Netflix-style subscription steadily emerged uh, at centerpiece at the Xbox and PC offerings. Nadella also conf- confirmed in it set a, quote, new record for Xbox Live monthly active users, end quote, primarily attributing to the strength of the Xbox console. Firm user account for either service weren't provided. Growth of the Xbox Game Pass and the Xbox Live Gold come as a little surprise, both both framed as core components of the modern Xbox vision following expansion to PC in the introduction of the all new inclusive Xbox game pass ultimate with a rotating library of over hundred tiles, possessing an unmatched value proposition in both newcomers and Xbox veterans. Now, of course, of course, this is what kind of turns it around. And if anything affirms what I've been saying, which is that, you know, the future of Xbox isn't in selling as many cop as many boxes as possible. And while yes, that is a nice thing to do, and Microsoft would like to sell as many as possible, it's really about the services. And this is this is the proof that shows that that even when revenue is down, you know, even when they're not selling as many Xbox units, and when people are spending less money in games like Fortnite and Red Dead Redemption, which generate tons and tons of revenue for Microsoft, um, and even when you know people are just buying fewer games for your console you can still make a shitload of money because 
Xbox Live Gold and Game Pass and Xbox Live Ultimate, which combines the two services into one. You can have all these people just steadily paying and generating all this revenue month to month because they're they're playing their games through Game Pass because they're subscribing to your service in order to use their console. Just because they're not buying extra consoles or new games for their console doesn't mean they're not using it and playing it. And these services make that barrier to entry and that and that usability so easy for consumers and therefore translates to just really easy money for for xbox and for microsoft as a result of you know maybe maybe you have an xbox one and you want to upgrade to an xbox one x but you know that the series s x is on the horizon and you're like you know what i'm just going to pass on that i'm not going to buy a new xbox this this holiday season despite the good black friday sales because i know next year there's a new console but guess what you're still going to pay for game pass every month you're still going to play new games via game pass you're still going to pay for xbox live so you can get your games with gold and play online games and all that shit and that's that's where microsoft's making their money and now they're going to make even more money doing that because guess what game Pass is on pc now so if you're that kind of person who's like i will i won't buy an xbox there's a couple of games i want to play but i'm not going to buy a console just for quantum break and sea of thieves well guess what now you can play those games on your stupid pc because you're a damn nerd and you're going to get game pass on your pc and play those games there and all that because there's so many places to play it and then you know xcloud might even contribute to that that vision as well especially as it rolls out in a more official capacity more people get into it where you know maybe you wouldn't play maybe you wouldn't buy an xbox for that one game you know for sunset overdrive but fuck you can just play it on your android phone because you can connect your playstation 4 controller to your android phone and then all of a sudden there you are playing an xbox game so it's just an awesome awesome um, situation for microsoft because while the perception from the kind of traditional console war is always you know who sells more units who's more popular microsoft's over here like who gives a shit we're making money no matter what because you guys are subscribing to our xbox services and that's really what it's all about so as long as these services continue to thrive and do well uh, we as xbox fans and as xbox consumers continue to win because that that tells microsoft that people care about xbox that people care about the brand because they're going to subscribe to game pass to play the games that xbox has to offer and that means more halo at the end of the day so i'm happy with that and i hope you are too so let's move into our next big story of the week this one not so exciting because it involves google and everyone knows google's the worst so in a press release that came out earlier this week it announced that activision blizzard and google have joined forces in a partnership that will see activision blizzard games to stream exclusively via youtube meaning serious broadcasts for games like call of duty overwatch and hearthstone will be streamed through youtube Google Cloud will also be hosting infrastructure for Activision games going forward. And of course, this announcement, there was no mention of Google Stadia, Google's recent uh, game streaming service that competes with the likes of Microsoft's Project X Cloud for game for playing your Xbox games via the cloud. So this is big news, of course, because, well, not because, you know, this is a Google podcast, but because, of course, YouTube and streaming via YouTube is indirect competition to Microsoft's own uh, streaming platform, Mixer. Um, so, you know, obviously Activision Blizzard, one of the biggest names in gaming, uh, obviously Activision with games like Call of Duty and Blizzard with games like Warcraft, Overwatch, what have you, Hearthstone. That's just a massive, massive loss because these are some of the most watched uh, games that get streamed. It's, of course, Call of Duty and Overwatch in particular. You know, the only other things bigger than those is like 
is like Fortnite in in Apex Legends or League of Legends or some some bullshit like that. So this is a massive loss uh, for not for not only Twitch but for Microsoft's own Mixer platform. And that doesn't, of course, mean that you know serious streamers aren't going to play their games on Mixer, aren't, aren't going to play Activision Blizzard games on Mixer. Um, what's his name? That relatively newly signed streamer that's on Mixer. He plays a lot of Call of Duty. He's still going to play Call of Duty on Mixer. So that's great. But, you know, when Activision hosts like some some gaming championship, some MLG, whatever the hell it is, it's going to be done through YouTube and that's going to bring a lot of eyes to YouTube. And whether or not that really translates to YouTube streaming growing the way Google's been trying to grow it, it definitely does take the thunder away from platforms like Mixer as Microsoft, you know, is really, really aggressively trying to grow Mixer and compete with the likes of Twitch. I think for Twitch, this doesn't mean too much because Twitch is just so massive. They seem to be able to kind of lose whatever and still stay in a good position um but you know for any of you hoping that that mixer could grow further and further this is one of those things that's kind of a bit of a blow because this is a massive get for uh, for google and for youtube but nonetheless i don't think this is the end all be all i think what's more important when it comes to these streaming platforms is kind of the community aspect when it comes to more of like the series broadcast like like a call of duty championship or something like that even if people, you know, sure, maybe people will tune into Google or YouTube streaming to watch that championship, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily where they're going to stay. I think the the main benefit to Microsoft's approach of getting, you know, specific streamers like Ninja onto Mixer is that it has that kind of personalized effect to it where, you know, you watch Ninja not because he's awesome at the game, he's fun to watch. I'm sure that's a part of it for people that watch him, but you watch him because the same reason you listen to a podcast or the same reason you follow any type of YouTubers because you like the personality, you like the person, you enjoy the content, you enjoy the opinions and the views and that's what keeps you there and then makes you as a result of that like the streaming service whether it be YouTube, Mixer, or Twitch. And so that's why I think Microsoft's approach of getting, you know, specific streamers uh, exclusive on their platform is better because it has that people who now have to use Mixer to watch Ninja instead of Twitch now have to use the Mixer system in order to hang out with their 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 Ninja community and then they get acclimated to the, the Mixer system and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I like Mixer because I've been forced to use it so much to watch Ninja that I've really gotten acclimated to, you know, associating my my ninja watching experience with my mixer using experience. And I realized that that's a platform I just prefer due to its features and everything else. Whereas, you know, tuning in for like the Call of Duty championship might be more of a one and done thing. It may even be something you watch like retroactively and like a, a like a recorded YouTube video. Um, so I don't think it has quite the same potential to to draw in the the viewers and the well not the viewers but I guess the long term viewers it might it might bring more of a one and done kind of effect uh, but regardless this is a big get for YouTube nonetheless um, like I just said Activision Blizzard obviously some of the biggest names in gaming so this isn't nothing uh, but nonetheless I find it weird that they don't somehow bring this aboard they don't they don't mention Stadia they don't mention anything about like how servers for these games are going to be. Or, or like some partnership to bring all Activision Blizzard games going forward to Stadia or anything like that. And you think they would be because Google just launched this game streaming service and now they have, you know, this great deal with the biggest name in gaming in game publishing and their streaming service for, for like watching video games, but it has nothing to do with their streaming service to play video games. So I don't know, if as if we didn't need any more proof that Stadia kind of came out and... F- 
fell flat on its face and isn't doing so well. This kind of furthers that that notion. But that's all we'll say about that. Our next story here is pertaining to uh, Konami and a potential Silent Hill game, uh, Silent Hill sequel. So per Eurogamer, the article reads, Twitter user Aesthetic Games has leaked details suggesting that two new Silent Hills games are in the works, one of which is a soft reboot of the franchise, while the other would be an episodic experience, a la Life is Strange or any Telltale game. This was all the leaker could confirm as they admitted to not knowing anything more about the potential games, just that they were likely in development. Silent Hill was last seen in 2014 when the mysterious uh, demo for PT released on the PlayStation 4 and revealed itself to be a Kojima, a Hideo Kojima uh, developed Silent Hill game uh, made in conjunction with uh, director Gilmore Del Toro. Unfortunately, the game never saw the light of day and the demo was removed from the PlayStation Store, making it unplayable to anyone unless they had it downloaded on their PlayStation hardware and never deleted the file. Despite PT not being a thing on Xbox, there's no reason to believe that a future Silent Hill game wouldn't be available on Microsoft's hardware as uh, Silent Hill games have been on Xbox hardware in the past, and Konami is a third-party publisher that probably wants to make money wherever they can, so why not put it on Microsoft's uh, hardware? So this one is more of the, one of those, you know, I mean, if you're a Silent Hill fan, it looks like there's a good chance Silent Hill's coming back. This one is like, I'm so half and half on it. On the one hand, you've got Konami, who's been so hesitant to jump back into really full force making video games you know ever since the falling out with kojima they've really stepped back from games they've done a couple of re-releases and they did that metal gear survive but they're really not focusing on gaming so much anymore and for those who don't know uh konami is or konami is a really big company in japan for a lot more than games they own fitness clubs they own like a water bottle company they they're one of those like japanese companies that's like very diverse and gets into like a lot of unrelated kind of businesses in japan which is kind of a common thing for a lot of Japanese companies but in the U.S. of course we only know them as a games publisher which is all they've ever really done overseas uh, outside of Japan their home country of course so we, we've seen them kind of get really I don't know I guess lazy in their games division uh, with the exception of making like these pachinko gambling machines in Japan again something that's like somewhat video game related but really more of a gambling machine um, so we just we just don't see Konami doing games anymore but on the other hand it does make sense that um, Konami could potentially want to jump into back into the Silent Hill franchise, uh, considering the success of Capcom's kind of resurgence in the Resident Evil franchise, uh, which is probably the closest competitor to what Silent Hill was, or rather, uh, Silent Hill is more of a comp- or is more of the response to Resident Evil historically. But nonetheless, I mean, obviously, um, Capcom's seen huge success with the release of Resident Evil 7 and then with the remake of Resident Evil 2 and now they're about to have Resident Evil 3 remake which seems to be garnering lots and lots of attention they've been doing very well with the resurgence of Resident Evil 3 it would only make sense for Konami to kind of ride this wave and this resurgence of the horror game genre and kind of say hey well we have an IP that people miss in the same way they missed Resident Evil why don't we bring it back why don't we get someone to reboot Silent Hill or make a new one or let's do something different with it kind of like how 
Capcom did something different with Resident Evil. And in that regard, I'm like, well, this makes perfect sense, especially the idea of the episodic thing. It's like, that's a new way to do Silent Hill or just the reboot of the franchise. That's a new way to do it. And you don't have to have um, Hideo Kojima or or Gilmore Del Toro. You can find someone else to make a good Silent Hill game. I, I just don't see why. I, it seems like one of those things where they're leaving money on the table by not doing this. But at the same time, again, like I was just saying, Konami's been so absent from video games that it seems like they want to leave money on the table it's like why would you not just make a metal gear solid 6 why would you not just make a new castlevania game why would you not do a lot of things that konami just doesn't do these days that's like okay you're leaving so much money on the table these metroidvania games are a dime a dozen it's the most popular genre in the indie world right now and everyone likes these dark soul games it's like why would you not make a new castlevania game and they just won't do it and then you know now it's been long enough that you can make a new metal gear solid game Kojima's far enough removed from the franchise at this point with his success of Death Stranding that you think, why not make a new Metal Gear Solid game? Well, clearly they don't they don't give a shit because they won't do it. And now we're at a similar situation where it's like Capcom's raking in all this money. Um, the horror genre in gaming is just doing better than it's ever done before. It was so absent for so long. And then this generation, it kind of came back with a vengeance. And now we're seeing horror just do so very well, especially with these new Resident Evil games. Why would you not bring back Silent Hill? Why would you not make a new entry in that franchise? So yeah, there's a, there's a chance that this rumor is true and that this is what's happening. And Eurogamer is a very respectable source. They're usually right when they report on something. So I believe it. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Konami is just like, eh, we'll just leave that money on the table and keep making pachinko machines and, and selling health club fitnesses to people in Japan. So who knows? But um, I, I, I'm, I'm like 50-50 on this one, especially because it's Eurogamer. And I just I have a tendency to believe them. Uh, they don't usually pick up stories unless unless they have reason to believe it's real. So here's hoping because that'd be cool to see Konami just make something. But keeping with these horror games and speaking of Resident Evil, our next story is actually that Capcom, while currently working on the Resident Evil 3 remake, has already reported that it is at least thinking of Resident Evil 8, which would be the first main entry non-remake since 2017's Resident Evil 7. Sources familiar with the game have told Eurogamer, again, Eurogamer coming back with some more reports, that the game will likely be first person just like Resident Evil 7 was. Additionally, the game will likely feature Resident Evil 7 protagonist Ethan Winters along with Chris Redfield and some non-zombie enemies like werewolves and female ghosts. Settings will include a large castle with a surrounding area. And that's kind of really all we know about that. Those are some weird like non-sequitur kind of details. But um, doesn't surprise me that they would stick with first person. The first person perspective seemed to do really well for Resident Evil 7. And I think personally, in my own opinion, I think first person is by far the definitive perspective to choose for a horror game. I think, you know, first person is the kind of perspective that puts you most in the shoes of the protagonist or the, the character, and it's the most enveloped. So if you're going to try to make someone feel really exposed and isolated and scared, I think first person is the perspective that better conveys that kind of sense and gets and gets the players into that headspace. Um, so I'm totally on board with that. I loved what they did with Resident Evil 7. It was the first one in the series that I ever gave a shit about. In fact, I even played a lot of the game, which I've been meaning to get back to, but probably won't ever do. Um, but 
yeah, I, I think I think keeping with the first person is perspective is the right thing to do, especially because they can kind of have their cake and eat it too, since it's like they're doing this like future iterations, like seven, eight, nine new Resident Evil games. We're now doing this first person thing. Uh, but if you liked the older style of Resident Evil games, we are keeping that third person kind of more over the shoulder, whatever thing they they traditionally done with the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake. So it's kind of a little something for everyone. Um, and I, I think that's a, a good way to keep, you know, both markets satiated while kind of being able to dabble in both kind of genres. As for the protagonist, I have nothing to say on that. I don't know anything about the characters of these games or care about them, uh, but I do find it interesting that you would fight non-zombie creatures as well. Werewolves and ghosts, or specifically werewolves, sound a little out of place for Resident Evil, but then again, I'm not that big a fan of the series. What do I really know? It just sounds like a zombie game, so I'm not sure why you'd have werewolves. It sounds a little too supernatural, which is kind of a weird thing to say about a zombie game. But ghosts, I guess I could see you pulling out ghosts. It it makes sense with uh, kind of some of the more spiritual or the supernatural shit that happened in Resident Evil 7. Um, but anyway, um, that would be that. And that's way too much time talking about Japanese horror games that I'll never play. So let's move on to our next story, which is a quick one. And it's just that Metro Exodus will be getting a new DLC titled Sam's Story. And it'll be released on February 11th. Sam's Story follows Sam as he makes his way back to the US. The DLC is the final expansion for the game. It will only run you $8 or it's already included in your $25 season pass if you got that. As far as that goes, meh. That's more just like a report like, hey, if you're looking forward to that, or if you're looking for an update, on Metro Exodus's DLC. There you go. I played a little bit of Metro Exodus myself. I was a little disappointed as someone who really enjoyed the first two. I wish the third one wasn't so open world-esque and I kind of got bored of it after after like half the game. Um, but if you enjoyed Metro Exodus, which I hope you did because I just want to see people be happy unlike me, then uh, look forward to that. It's coming out in just a few weeks here. Uh, and then we've got Another little short one, Jarrett West, director of marketing for the Xbox back in the 360 days, has left his role at Netflix to come back to Xbox. He, he uh, His team developed marketing plans for games and hardware and services across the division, and his new official title is Chief Marketing Officer. So welcome back to the Xbox family, Mr. West. While I don't know much about you, I uh, certainly look forward to having more people back on Team Xbox here to make awesome games and, and moves that will make this uh, this platform and brand even more incredible and exciting than it already is. So welcome back. And then our final wrap-up story again and a little another little note, just kind of a smaller one. Players anxiously awaiting the release of Wasteland Remastered will not have to wait much longer um, as InXile Entertainment have confirmed that the game will come out on Xbox One and PC on February 25th, 2020. Of course, the game will launch into Game Pass from the start and Wasteland Remastered takes the 1988 original and improves the visuals while bringing it to a modern audience. For those looking for more of an accessible entry point for the franchise, Wasteland 3 is set to release on May 19, 2020 on Xbox One and PC. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, people were waiting for this. They were kind of vaguely talking about a remaster of this. I feel like this kind of re remaster was flying under the radar. Not many people were talking about it, but I guess that's because the original Wasteland is kind of a niche a niche game. So uh, if you were looking forward to that, now we have a release date. It's really, really soon. So get on that and enjoy that shit. It's just one more month. Um, I've been meaning to get to Wasteland now that Microsoft owns in exile i feel this obligation to at least familiar familiarize myself with some of their work i'm planning on jumping in with 
Wasteland 2 or 3, probably just 3, because chances are I will not like this game. I'm just not really big of a strategy person, but I could be wrong. Every now and again, I enjoy a good strategy game. I used to play a little bit of Warcraft back in the day. I love Halo Wars. I, uh, I've enjoyed some of the... Um, some of the uh, some of the Command and Conquer games, so who, who knows? We'll see. Uh, but that is going to do it for this week's news. Uh, a little bit of a slow one, but you know it's early in the year. Um, we're kind of just waiting for the onslaught of spring games to come out, as well as to hear some more information on next gen hardware. Which we at least the PS Five we should be hearing a lot about pretty soon in the next month, I'd assume. And then shortly after that, I assume we'll get an Xbox Series X like full reveal. So. Um, definitely just anxiously awaiting more information on next generation hardware and the big games of spring 2020, which a lot of which have now been delayed as we know. So, uh, let's jump into the new game releases via Xbox wire for this week. There are a list, a total of 12 new games coming to Xbox this week. Uh, so we'll just go down the list and just talk about them based on names and screenshots alone. The first one is stone, which comes out on January 27th. So it's already out and this game you play as a, um, a deadbeat kind of Tommy Bahama looking fucker. He's a koala bear. Uh, he's a cartoon and he lives in this apartment all alone. He's got alcohol bottles all over the floor. He's kind of a deadbeat. His, um, his, uh, his girlfriend probably left him. He's probably completely pathetic and alone. And, but what's most important to note is that this man is indoors and he's wearing sunglasses, which just means he's an unsympathetic douchebag because, Really, there's no reason to be combining indoors with sunglasses. So, you know, if you're alone and sad, Mr. Stone, Mr. Mr. Koala Bear, it's probably for good reason. Our next game is Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition, which is out January 28th. Now, this game is apparently quite a big deal. People are really talking highly of this game. Apparently, it's a nice episodic kind of game. But really, all, all I need to say about it is we talked about this game last week. Um, I guess got pushed back a week. But yeah, this is that that forward verse Ford versus Tesla, whatever game we, and I just, I just don't want to get into it. It's just not necessary. We've already talked about it. You don't get a second chance. Uh, so fuck you, Kentucky Route Zero. Our next game is called Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire Ultimate Edition. Now, if you don't know what Pillars of Eternity 2 is, it's this kind of game where you play as like a, you play as like a dragon. It's like a dragon simulator and you go around the town. You try to make peace with people. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like in Finding Nemo when those sharks are trying to like be vegetarian and not eat fish. It's a similar concept. You're a dragon. You're trying to make peace with this medieval village uh, and, you, and you don't want to eat humans anymore, but you know, they think you're a monster and they attack you anyway. So you have to defend yourself and you're not going to let a good dead body go to waste. So you end up eating it anyway and then people think you're a monster and it's just an old obsidian game it's, this is some weird concept they had long before outer worlds or fallout new vegas or, or fallout in general so just just let it be it's 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 there if you want to play it but anyway um it came from it came from space and ate our brains is the next game this looks to be one of those indie games it might be a shooter actually I do like arcade shooters, so I'm not going to pick on it too much, but needless to say, the art style is very blocky. Uh, our next game is called Journey to a Savage to the Savage Planet. Now, this is a game that's been getting a lot of attention for whatever reason. I keep seeing it pop up in news cycles and, and on YouTube and stuff. I don't know why all of a sudden people care about this game, but it is one of those like No Man's Sky looking like planet exploration games. I really do dig the art style of it a lot. It's not only very colorful, but pretty cartoony. And some of the creatures in the game look pretty fun, but I don't think I'm I'm gonna play it because chances are it's it's probably 
really boring and open and I, I hate games where we get to explore and there's open-ended shit to do. I just want you to tell me a very tight and funneled story. So fuck you, Journey to the Savage Planet. I hope you sell poorly. Our next game is called Music Racer. It comes out on January 29th and the most notable feature about this game is yes, it's Xbox One X enhanced. Now this is a rhythm game. There's a cool like DeLorean looking time machine car driving down this purple highway. It's very stylized. It's very cartoony. That's probably a cool game so I'm actually not going to pick pick at it um, I might even check it out myself but if you don't have rhythm I don't recommend it because it is a rhythm game so all you white boys stay away our next game is called Milo's Quest it's the console edition and it is out January 29th so it's already out you dumb idiot what are you waiting for go play this game that looks like Pokemon with a dog so that there's that you play as a puppy our next game is called Monster Energy Supercross 3 Special Edition which comes out on January 30th I've always wanted to play one of these games so I'm, I'm not going to pick on it as much as I should uh, but this is Xbox One X enhanced so if you want to if you want to tear up some dirt if you want to drink monster energy in amazing 4k then this is the game for you you're going to get the monster energy supercross 3 you're going to get the 4k resolution and after a nice long race sponsored by Honda and Toyota you're going to gulp down a ice cold refreshing green sludgy monster energy drink because you're a pimple-faced teenager that still likes Warped Tour. Our next game is called Code Shifter, and I wish uh, I wish what that meant was that the developers shifted the code off the computer because this game looks like a some indie trash. Eight eight bits of uh, eight bits of uh, eight bits of Super Smash Bros. ripoff. So play that if you just don't have enough fighting games in your life. Next game is an Xbox Play Anywhere game called Hyper Dot. So if you want to play a game about chicken pox anywhere, I guess you can do that. You fucking idiot. It's also Xbox One X Enhanced. I don't know how you enhance a game where you play as a dot, but okay. Then we got Sky Rogue, Sky Rouge, Sky Rogue on January 31st. This is a action life flight simulator where you play as a spaceship um, blowing up polygons. It's trying very hard to look like Star Fox 64, so... That's stupid. Might even play it myself. And then next we got Coffee Talk, which is a game where you play as girls with blue and green hair. And they have, of course, dragon things and tentacles because for some reason there's this um, there's this group of nerdy ass little white boys in this world who are very obsessed with tentacles and anime. And they have no friends and they touch themselves inappropriately because they're gross and, and they, they, they're on DeviantArt half the day and... They make games where every woman has large breasts, but they're not overly sexualized, but they kind of are, and you can um, you can flirt with them, you can pick them up at a bar, you can date dating sim them, um, but this game is just really absolutely stupid, and I I hope you I hope you play it because you're probably absolutely stupid if you're listening to me talk about it, and that's gonna do it for the games coming out this week. As a reminder for January, uh, the games with gold. It's your last few days to download Sticks Shards of Darkness. You got Batman the Telltale series until January 15th, February 15th. Uh, you've already missed out on Tekken 6, so fuck you. And then Lego Star Wars 2, you've got that until uh, the 31st, so download it right now. Um, but more importantly, we now have February's Games with Gold, so let's go over what you can expect in the month of February. So for the 1st through the 29th on Xbox One, you got TT Isles of Man, Isle of Man, which is a, a sim motorcycle racing game, which I think I'm going to check out because I like sim racing and I love motorcycles. Um, so I think I'll check that out. That sounds like a pretty interesting game. If you're a Forza fan, if you're even really interested in motorcycles, you might be interested in this. It kind of crosses. It's kind of like the uh, the motorcycle version of Forza, if you will. So definitely worth a look if you if you like 
boring, stupid shit like that, because I know I certainly do. Call of Cthulhu is our second Xbox One game. You got that from February 16th through March 15th on the Xbox One. And then we've got Fable Heroes on the Xbox 360 side for the first half of February and Star Wars Battlefront for the second half of February. To be clear, this is the good Star Wars Battlefront, the one that people are really nostalgic for, the original pandemic-developed Star Wars Battlefront on the Xbox original. So... That's really exciting to look forward to. Some good Star Wars. But that's going to do it for this week's show. I appreciate you listening as always. Thank you so much. The show's been getting longer. Let me know what you think about all these added new segments. If you think they're derailing from the show, if you like them, please remember to leave some comments so we can have some more interesting conversation. The conversation part, the comments, suggestions, whatever questions part is crucial. And I am going to inject that as much into the show as I can, the more it continues to grow. And yes, this show is somehow growing. Uh, we're getting close to the, to the 200 a week listener mark. I don't know why the fuck there are close to 200 people listening to the show, but I greatly appreciate it. It means a lot to me and it's, it makes me honestly, it actually makes me a little bit uncomfortable that there are people who are continuously listening to my stupid ass go off about Xbox on a weekly basis, but nonetheless, I'm greatly appreciate it. And it means the world to me. Um, with that said, please feel free to send me money, Patreon t-shirts, buy it all, spend your money and give it to me. Uh, your, your money is basically valueless to me. Your, your finances mean nothing to me and your, your money is better served in my wallet. So go ahead and support me there. Follow me on social media. You know where to find me. I'm that guy. It's very easy to find me, so I shouldn't even have to explain myself to you. Um, But Eric's going to play us out with a little song now, and uh, you're going to go ahead and leave me a nice five-star review on iTunes because you care about me, and that's going to do it for another enticing week. Until next week, remember gamers, Xbox out.